What up, though, guys? This is your boy, Reggie Dokes, and welcome to the second episode of our behind-the-scenes podcast of the upcoming feature-length documentary, God Said Give Them Drum Machines, the story of Detroit Techno. Look, I'm so excited about this particular episode because in this episode, we take you back, take you back in time, each of us, in the 80s, when the scene of Detroit was so exciting for us, from the music, to the parties, to the venues. Our love for techno and the D didn't just start with this film. Each of us have our own history. And so we're going to get into that. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. Let's get into my Detroit hot picks, please. So the first one is by Detroit artist Javante. This brother is so hot and highly, highly underrated producer. He put out this great EP on a small, great label out of Atlanta called People of Earth, run by a great guy by the name of Michael Scott. The EP is called Javante. It's a four-track EP, I believe. And so this first one, which is one of my favorites, is called Way Back, Way Back by Javante. Let's go. So let me just say that as a young person, the 80s, they were like some of the best times of my life. And I still reflect on those moments. Growing up, we had this, this DJ, right? Called himself Mojo, okay? So how about Mojo played everything from pop to R&B to even symphony or orchestral music? I mean, he would come in with... Um, his intro giving these words of inspiration and in the background you could hear Bach or Beethoven uh, playing and in that same breath he would play Prince and then in the next breath he would he would play B-52s and Yazoo and Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown all of this he would play on his show so a lot of us were exposed to a rich and diverse um, culture of music, right? And and then too, we can't forget this. This was the '80s, so you know, in my opinion, some of the best music across all genres was created in the 80s. It, it, it was also an, an interesting time as far as um, club culture, especially among black teens. So how about we had what you call like halls, right? Uh, imagine all these black kids going to these halls uh, to party and, 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 and to hear house music. You know, um, for me, Going to these parties, 
um, you know, I, I was exposed to giants like uh, Ray Berry and, and Steve Dunbar and Al Esther and, um, oh my goodness, uh, The Wizard and Al Upshaw and Daryl Shannon and I mean, I could just go on and on and Delano, you know, Delano Smith, that is, you know, I, I could just go on and on in terms of um, the folks I was exposed to as DJs. They were like gods to me, man. And it was just so inspiring to see this at such a young age. So. Ninth grade is 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 when I started DJing, right? I had a play cousin. You know how we always have play cousins, right? I had a play cousin who was already a DJ and had DJ equipment. And I remember him giving me the headphones and I think the record was uh, Martin Circus, right? One of the most popular records in Detroit, you talking about rocking and getting the dance floor going, you play that 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 Martin Circus, yeah 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 yeah. Hi 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 hi. I mean that record, <laughs> that record got people hyped. I don't care if they played it five times in that night; it always packed the dance floor. Anyway, I digressed. So. I was a DJ. My parents bought me um, my first set of turntables. They were SLB 200s by Techniques. I had to put a penny on the arm to keep the, 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 the needle from skipping or jumping. My first real mixer was uh, from Radio Shack, and it was uh, a realistic mixer. That's, that, that, that's, that is what it was called, realistic mixer. And it and it had the the fade sliders, so you had to go up and down, right? And then like the cue buttons were like these switches. I mean, it was it was it was really crazy. But you know that's how I started, you know. And so ninth grade, I was a DJ. Tenth grade, I was a DJ. And I met this cat at high school, uh, Cass, and we're still good friends to this day, Greg Freeman. So Greg and I, uh, well, we were introduced to each other from a mutual friend uh, that I'm cool with still to this day as well, Earl King. Earl King introduced us and then um, Greg introduced me to his boy, Will Guest. And Will Guest was the son of one of the pips, Gladys Knight and the pips, yes. And so we decided to form this group called Audio Sounds. And that was the beginning of um, my DJ career and theirs uh, doing teenage parties around the city of Detroit. Um, and, and, you know, we really thought we were into something when uh, we were getting gigs at these halls and stuff, you know. And man, I just remember cats like leaning into the speakers, you know, listening to your blends. And, you know, I just remember, you know, coming up as a DJ, you really had to practice, you know, because when you got to those parties, man, people were going to be like 
listening to how you blend your music and your transitions and all that stuff, man. So I think we practiced relentlessly. Like, I mean, after I got out of high school, uh, I remember, you know, just going over Greg's house or, or Will's house and, and we would make mixtapes, you know, for like two or three hours before I went home. You know, it, it was it was crazy, but it was a great time and we loved what we were doing. I, we, we would make like seventy five dollars once we started getting paid for these gigs. We made like seventy five dollars the whole night and split it three ways. And after the party, go to Burger King and, and blow half the money. We just thought we were really, really into something, you know. But it was a great time, man. We were playing everything again from like uh, B-52s, Progressive, um, uh, man, you, you name it. You know, we were we were playing it and mixing it, you know. But we had people that we could look up to that 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 were risk takers, man, that were exceptional DJs, you know. And so that just kind of it 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 gave us a blueprint of how one should be when it comes to DJing, you know. But DJing has always been like, you know, my first love and 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 it was probably not until like hmm, probably like 2001 is when I started to produce music. And that journey was was interesting for me because I was trying to put my music out on other people's labels. And, you know, you always get the, well, I'm not feeling that. Uh, um, no, that's not a good fit for the label. You know, come back next year. You know, you need to practice a little more with, you know, your production skills, etc. I heard all of that and and got tired of it and decided to start my own label, Psychostasia Recordings. And so when I did that, the next challenge was distribution, you know, getting the music out there. And um, there was a distributor that I was trying to go through in New York and they would always tell me, nope, sorry, maybe next time. Nope, sorry, maybe next time. And so I got tired of that. And I decided to look at who they distribute everyone's records to overseas. And I picked about four or five names. And once I started making music and pressing records of my label, I would send them copies of my release on vinyl for free to like four or five different places overseas and just to create that buzz, you know, and, and get my name up. And eventually things started to take off and, and, you know, I was getting orders and then eventually, you know, the whole distribution thing uh, worked out for me and I was able to, you know, distribute my label and, and, and get it out there. So that was the start of, you know, me producing so although I had my own label, uh, as my name picked up, people started to become interested in me doing stuff for their labels. And isn't it funny how that works? But, hey, sometimes, you know, you have to go uh, left to go right, as they say. 
And then I started to DJ uh, internationally. I've had, a, you know, several experiences of DJing overseas and, and really loved that and really thought that was going to be my career and was really chasing that. And then... Um, you know, I had a family and, and had to make a decision like, yo, do, do I keep doing this uh, and, and, and not see my family or do I get a regular job? And so I decided to to put my music career on hold and, and get a nine to five and, and stay home. But all the while I was working my nine to five, I was still doing music and finally had gotten to the point where. I was inspired enough to leave my nine to five and pursue music full time. Uh, but this time, you know, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to stretch myself creatively. So that's when I looked to um, composing for television and film and uh, just always had an interest in composing music for commercials, films, documentaries, etc. And so ended up landing a great gig in composing original music for the documentary, which is what this podcast is about. God said, give them drum machines. Uh, I've known the director of this documentary, Christian, uh, ever since we were teens and uh, just decided to reach out to him and, and ask him like, yo, man. You know, I'm really interested in, in, in getting my foot in uh, composing. Um, I would love to do some original music for the documentary. And he was like, yo, man, you got the job. You called me right on time. And I was like, man, that was easy. So once I jumped in with both with with uh, with both feet uh, with that uh, job, man, I it just really, really got my creative juices going and. I was just really inspired from from that point on to just really pursue this whole composing thing. So I've been, you know, very fortunate to land my music in a movie that's coming out. Uh, I've done a show that's on um, that, that that came on BET. Um, I've done music cues for uh, American Black Film Honors Program, where I, you know, did music cues for the acceptance speech of Jamie Foxx and Lena Waithe. And and so, you know, things have 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 really moved in a direction that 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 I am grateful for, because, you know, I just I just wanted to, like I said, do something different, um, push myself creatively and 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 just kind of create a situation, um, you know, that could possibly mean, you know, uh, um, a better, um, back end financially, you know, because, you know, brother got a family and, you know, as a creative in this business, you know, it's always up and down, you know, so you always want to diversify, you know, but Detroit is where it all began for me. And, um, although I no longer live in Detroit, uh, I'm in Atlanta now. Um, you know, Detroit is always with me. Detroit is the place of inspiration that, that, that really set my career path in music, uh, uh, on a beautiful journey. And, um, so, you know, Hey, I'm glad to share this with you 
and 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 that's how I got in this game and 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 how Detroit shaped and molded me to be a creative so this next one is still from the artist Javante on the EP called Javante on People of Earth. But this track is called Zodiac, another hot one. Javante, like I said, is highly underrated. He is a multi-instrumentalist and he has a great singing voice. We have worked together, made music together that's not out yet. But let me tell you, when it does come out, you're going to be excited. This brother is, is, is so humble, such a great guy, great spirit. And he got some moves, too. Back in the day, I used to always see him at the parties and the D dancing. This was way before I knew that he could uh, produce music. But anyway, this brother has a very interesting history. He used to work for Aretha Franklin used to work for her and um, I think he was a dancer and he learned a great deal from the queen anyway this brother is just an all around talent and uh, I think a lot more attention needs to be brought to this brother Javante anyway up next Zodiac on People of Earth going to hear from one of our producers on this project, Dave Grandison, give us his story of the 80s. I'm a uh, filmmaker, um, an instructional technologist, uh, and uh, a dad. Uh, I have been producing for about uh, 20 years now. I want to talk to you a little bit about a, a documentary project called God Said Give Them Drum Machines. Um, this is a, a passion project that I've been working on with Washington Hill Productions. Um, and uh, we've been working on this project for, you know, quite some time because uh, it's a it's a very important project to get out in front of the, um, the eyes of, of people around the world. Um, you know, the odyssey uh, that is this project started for me at growing up in Detroit. Uh, and um, as a kid in Detroit, I, I saw the genre that, that we now call techno, you know, from its inception to uh, the global place that it plays in the world right now. Um, I, uh, you know, growing up as a kid in Detroit, you know, like like many kids in Detroit, um, you know, music is in our uh, veins. You know, we, we live, we breathe music. Um, 
you know, uh, I, you know, one of my cousins is 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 uh, Eddie Holland from Holland Dozier Holland, who you know wrote a lot of Motown hits, and and like a lot of the young people in Detroit, you know, we had direct connections to uh, Motown and uh, the 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 background that 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 laid the. Uh, the, the 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 roots for what became uh, known as techno, um, now known as Detroit techno, uh, and you know for me I saw and I knew many of the uh, the the creators of the art form when when I was you know in high school um, I you know I, while while you know growing up in Detroit you you could not um, escape. The, the the scene if you were a, a a young person who you know who was who was popular and hanging out with the with the with with the kids in the underground who who were a part of of the scene that was um you know what we called progressive uh house um we we listened to this music we lived it we breathed it but you know, progressive house was a lot of things. It was not um, specifically, you know, only uh, U.S. house. It was it was a mix of Italio house. It was a mix of electro. Um, you know, we were listening to uh, new wave. Um, we were listening to you know a wide variety of types of music, and we called it progressive or grass uh and it was one of those things that you know we we grew up with we listened to it we went to parties you know many of the parties that we went to um were were thrown by groups of young people and these young people were um you know were entrepreneurs were innovators um they you know they they had clubs called you know snobs brats Sabatino, sharavari um hardware you know darla uh you know and all of these clubs were you know like like for high school fraternities or sororities and uh you know obviously i can't i can't um you know not mention you know coets which was very much like a sorority um these these clubs, you know, would, would throw parties. Um, some of them were more social clubs. Some of them were more, you know, specifically for party promotion, but ultimately, um, they would, you know, create a scene and young people wanted to come see that scene. And, and the parties that were thrown were, were huge. Uh, they were, they were peaceful. They were, they were fun. Um, and uh, the, the entrepreneurs who owned these clubs would make a lot of money uh, throwing parties. The party clubs would uh, hire DJ crews with sound systems to spin at their parties. The competition was extremely, extremely tight. People wanted to outdo each other. The clubs wanted to outdo each other and throw the best parties. Uh, in the city. And so they would hire a direct drive, you know, that was, uh, you know, that had Todd Johnson and Mike Clark, or they would hire Deep Space Soundworks that was Eddie Folks, Juan, and Derek to spin their parties. And the, the dopest party were always the ones that had the dopest DJs. So the competition is really what helped Detroit techno to uh, to be born in the city. Um, as the Deep Space Soundworks started adding 
drum machines and synthesizers to their sound systems. Um, this meant that these guys started programming synthesizers, programming drum machines. And this is what formed the basis of Detroit techno because one of the first tracks, one of the first techno tracks was Sharavari. Um, the party club, Sharavari, would drop that track at their parties and people would go nuts. Uh, so, you know, you had this, um, this back and forth between DJ Cruz and um, party clubs uh, that, that, that allowed techno to form because of the rivalries and because of the competitions between these groups. And then, you know, the, this eventually made its way onto the radio when Mojo would play tracks that were created by these people uh, and the wizard would play tracks that were created by people from this scene. And so this, uh, this, this incubator is, uh, is, is what Detroit is. Music is incubated in Detroit and, uh, and makes its way around the world. It was a beautiful time to be in Detroit because, you know, we were all in high school and we were all trying to, uh, you know, trying to do do better and uh, and, and learn and, and, and figure out our way, uh, you know, in the scene. Um, you know, I was uh, I, I was at a school called Benedictine um, and, you know, as I started learning about the the DJs that were in Detroit that were, that were really, you know, imp you know, imp impacting me, you know, my favorite was, um, Mojo, of course, but Mojo, you know, Mojo would come on super late at night. And so the way that I was able to connect with one of the DJs that I idolized, um, was, uh, was, was by, you know, becoming a teen reporter for my school at the local radio station. The DJ who played at that radio station was The Wizard. Uh, and, and he is uh, Jeff Mills, if, if you know Jeff Mills, but his moniker at the time was The Wizard. He played a, a, a mix of uh, house and pitched up hip hop. And you know, for me, it blew my mind what he would do. So I, I made sure that I got to be the teen reporter at my school so that I could go and watch him spin because he would spin uh, after school during the time that I could go see it where Mojo would spin real late. So I had no, no chance of ever uh, being able to connect with Mojo. Uh, but uh, yeah, Jeff Mills was insane. Jeff Mills was a turntablist and he would scratch, cut, transform and mash up hip hop and house together using three turntables. And so for me, this blew my mind. I didn't. Yeah, I couldn't understand it. And I had to see it. Uh, that's why I was able to uh, become and I, I busted my butt to figure out how I could become uh, the teen reporter. For Benedictine on WDRQ, uh, the station that Jeff Mills was uh, was was DJing on. So you know that was my first time realizing that there was something very special going on in Detroit, and um, you know that that there's something that I need to I need to be a part of, and I need to figure out how I'm going to fit into that scene. Uh, you know, as I got older, I uh, I went away to to college, and um, 
when I would come home, though, I would be at the parties and I would go to the Music Institute. One of my good friends was Kai Alsay, who now owns um, um, NDATL, uh, the record label. Uh, and um, I, when I would go see Kai Alsay, Kai Alsay was 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 in the booth uh, with, you know, with his cousin who, who had started the club, Shea Demir. And uh, of course, Derek May and the legendary um, DJs that that would spin at the Music Institute. And so I was I was seeing these people. I was I was able to to, you know, to observe them doing what they do. And again, the, the scene you know impacted me. But again, I was back and forth between the schools that I was at and uh, and uh, and Detroit at the time. And so after leaving to go to college, um, you know, my, my time was, was very much back and forth to visit my family and, uh, you know, doing the things that young people do when we go home, we, we, you know, we visit our friends, you know, I would go, um, you know, and hang out with my, my friend, uh, Maurice Malone in his shop. And, you know, again, seeing entrepreneurs like him, who was a designer, um, but who was also connected to the music scene. Uh, he was in a band with, um, you know, called A Portrait of Radical People. And a lot of people don't know that he was in a band with Mark Kitchen, MK, another famous DJ. And MK was, was there with us hanging out. And, um, and, and so, you know, being, uh, you know, someone who was very deeply in the scene and, and knows these people, um, uh, it was very, very important for me, you know, as I saw the, the art form growing, I, I did not see the stories being documented and that bothered me, you know? And so I, I didn't know how I was going to be able to impact at that time, um, you know, and document these stories, but you know, it, it, it bothered me and I wanted to figure out ways to do it as I got, as I, as I grew, uh, and, and, and went on to, um, to, you know, and got out of college. I, um, I joined Teach for America. It brought me to the East Coast. Um, I did a few years teaching. And while I was doing that, I, I found a, a, a internet radio station that was playing, uh, you know, incredible, incredible DJs. Um, and they were live streaming the video. I, I decided I was going to intern at this place while I was teaching during the daytime. Uh, this place was called the Pseudo Online Network. The Pseudo Online Network was a pioneer in internet television. It was very much like MTV. There were channels that were playing shows like uh, 88 Hip Hop, where we brought in top hip hop acts. There were shows like Freak, where we were bringing in top uh, techno house uh, DJs. And it was a live party where DJs were spinning. And, uh, you know, anything you could think of was, was going on live, um, streamed as video online. I interned there and was eventually hired as the associate producer and then became a producer. This, 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 this place was a, um, was an incubator uh, for, for the arts and all types of music was being streamed out of this place all the time. So again, for me at that point, it clicked and I realized that I wanted to tell a story and I wanted to make a film about, um, Detroit techno. That was, uh, 98, 99. Um, the first, uh, Detroit electronic music festival happened 
And that was that was the time that I said, hey, I'm going to make my pilgrimage back to Detroit and I'm going to try to figure out a way to tell this story. I'm taking a crew and I'm going to start filming and I'm going to film as many DJs as I can and uh, and start uh, and, and start working on a film. Um, and I called it Techno Mecca because, again, Detroit was the Mecca and I felt like I was making a homecoming to Detroit for this first Detroit Electronic Music Festival. Uh, and so that's how, you know, the, the first iteration of this film that we call God Said Give Them Drum Machines, um, you know, was started, uh, you know, Techno Mecca was uh you know uh, was was a project that i felt i was going to be able to kind of uh, document the the voices of current detroit djs and many of the legendary detroit djs to uh to to capture these stories that hadn't been told to to talk about how Detroit techno emerged from the party club scene in Detroit and started making its way globally due to its um you know it, it's its pull its its gravitation you know the, the beauty of it and uh and so that week you know that weekend I interviewed probably uh 15 20 uh DJs I interviewed um Carl Craig I interviewed Derek May I interviewed um, uh, Carol Marvin, who was the one of the organizers along with Carl Craig. And, you know, I was able to really build a huge archive of top DJs um, that weekend. You know, I was, I was able to also talk to people who were important to the scene, like um, my friend Mark Fagans, who was also a, um, a musician at the time in New York. Um, you know, and again, I'll, you know, he, he, he tells, he can tell you a little bit about the scene. And I think it's, um, it's really interesting that, you know, myself and my peers, somehow we, you know, I was telling a friend, it, it's like we all had the same dream, you know, that, that somehow this music, this electronic um, elements that are infused into house and soul and funk, that we all hear it, you know, and, and I'm here home for this festival to support it because this is kind of a culmination of, of years of things that I think everybody felt and we thought it, it needed to get out there and, and uh, you know, kind of let the world know it. You know, unfortunately, for the past um, 10 plus years, it's been the Europeans that have embraced this and uh, maybe many of the uh, people from the States haven't really given it the recognition. So this festival is really important in that sense to kind of bring it back home, let everybody know where it's from, where it's at and also you know it's kind of festival with the Detroit style you got you know families and little kids and and heads and you know jits you know everything so it's a really beautiful thing um, you know and I think uh, just one of the things I would say about the music um, beyond that is really how you know, it, it came out of a very special moment in time, and it can happen again. But there are certain things that uh, that that kind of led to its growth. You know, I look back when I was in high school; we were all, you know, we loved house music. Uh, what what I always term as a kind of a pre-house music, actually, we called it progressive, and it was very vocal-based. You know, electronic music in the sense that it was being created with drum machines and and other things. But um, we listened to Proto House, this progressive, and it was hot. It was like Chicago, Detroit. We loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. And I think out of it, with the infusion of new wave music um, and, a, and a very supportive disc jockey in this town by the name of Mojo, 
who started to give love to some of these uh, kids who put together their own records. Um, this was how it happened, you know. And unfortunately now you have some of the major outlets, major media outlets that aren't supportive of the music. Even back again in the city, it's a little bit tougher to do what they did back in the day. We don't have that kind of support. And um, hopefully we can change that, you know. Like everyone says, oh, the internet, the internet. Well, maybe, maybe it can happen through that, you know. You know, rest in peace, Mark has passed on. But um, I, 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 you know, I'd be remiss because he created the uh, the logo for Techno Mecca, and he was a, a you know incredible influencer, and 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 I had had I was able to bounce a lot of ideas off of him, and uh, because he had such a deep knowledge of the scene, he really you know he really helped me to contextualize a lot of things. Uh, you know, uh, shortly after that. Um, yeah, I think that uh, I, I made contact with uh, with Washington Hill Productions because my friend Christian, I heard, was also uh, working on a film project. And um, and so, you know, we were connected. My friend uh, Scott Chenault, who was one of the first editors who was helping me on, on the Techno Mecca project, connected me with Christian. And we put our heads together and started realizing that we were basically doing the same thing. So why should we, um, you know, try to build two competing projects? Why not work together? Um, you know, collaboration is vital in our industry. You know, for us to, to get anything done, we have to be able to build teams. And so Christian Hill um, and Jennifer Washington, um, you know, came together, you know, with myself and um, and I handed off. Uh, probably 75 hours of footage that I had shot um, to them because I trusted them and I felt like they could help us you know, all take this across the finish line. Um, they were on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. So we, we would be able to do interviews and, um, and kind of cover different parts of the country. I interviewed the Wizard several times. Um, Jeff Mills, you know, blessed me with, with several different interviews, you know, that we were able to, um, you know, to, to, to capture. Um, Kyle Hall, I, I recorded his record cutting at Air Studios in London. Um, and, you know, I, I was able to do a lot, but, you know, he, Jennifer and Christian were were the catalyst to really be able to, to take things global and really, you know, they, they were able to travel to, you know, a wide variety of locations that I wasn't able to really move to because I had just had um, kids and, and so I wasn't able to really um, travel as much. But, you know, they took up the, the mantle and took the project to um, to South Africa. Um, you know, we raised funds, we crowdsourced it and we were able to, um, you know, to, to shoot in South Africa. The, the shoot there became Electric Roots, the Detroit Sound Project, which was the first um, segment of, of, of this film uh, project. Um, and uh, they also went to Russia. They were able to take it to Tokyo. Uh, you know, and again, they moved this project forward and, and we were able to, um, you know, to, to work to make this, you know, this thing what it is. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's vital for us to collaborate. And I think we all have a shared vision that um, one, you know, African-Americans and uh, 
you know, and other minority groups have to tell their own stories. When I went to grad school prior to starting off, um, you know, the work that I that 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 I'm doing right now, um, I realized that there was a a huge um, challenge to the correct historic documentation of uh, of 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 the inceptions of genres. Um, I, you know, while I was working on my, my master's thesis, um, you know, I, I discovered that, and my master's thesis was creating a online archive to, uh, to help cultures to document their stories. Um, and so my project, um, what I did was I, I went to Wikipedia as a part of my master's thesis project and I updated the entry for Detroit Techno. And I discovered that within minutes, um, it was changed back to uh, a incorrect version of the inception of Detroit Techno because I have witnessed and seen and interacted with the, uh, the, 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 the creators of Detroit techno, you know, like, like Juan, like, uh, you know, like Jeff Mills, like, like, uh, Derek May, like Eddie folks, um, uh, you know, like Kevin Saunderson, like Mike Clark, you know, Todd Johnson. These are all guys that, um, you know, that, that I've interacted with in, in a wide variety of ways. And so I am an original source. And so I went in, made a change to a entry in Wikipedia, and it was immediately changed back by whoever is the whoever it thinks that they're the one who are who are shepherding and 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 maintaining the Wikipedia archive, which is any really any Joe Blow. Um, why should they be able to do that? That bothered me. And so I started a website called the Music Origins Project uh, to create um, vetted, curated stories that document the origins of cultural genres uh musically and so the music origins project you know i've been working on for probably about um 10 years now um and uh, you can go to musicorigins.org to see the stories you can see all of the places that our team has traveled to uh creating guys that give them drum machines and uh you can see accurate depictions and accurate stories talking about the inceptions of uh, genres around the world. And, you know, and this, uh, this site also houses the educational components of God said, give them drum machines. And so, uh, you know, again, because uh, you know, I'm an educator at heart, you know, it's very, it's important that we are also teaching young people uh, about the cultural origins of, um, you know, the, 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 the tools and the, um, the tools like drum machines and the tools uh, like film uh, that are used to to tell our stories. Uh, so, you know, that's a little bit about my background. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope you, um, you know, un understand now a little bit better, um, you know, my passion for this project and, uh, and, and why I got started.
So yo, let's get into this next one. This is definitely a classic on the intangible records, okay? Terrence Parker, affectionately known as TP. So he put out this EP many, many moons ago with an artist who I truly admire and respect by the name of Gary Romalis. Gary Romalis is from the D. And he too is a producer that is highly overlooked. So Gary Romalis did this EP on Intangible Records. And so this first one that uh, is, is, is a hot one is called I'm Trying to Be Strong by Gary Romalis. Check it out. That was so inspiring to hear. Up next, though, we have our executive producer giving her Detroit origin stories of the 80s, Jennifer Washington. Thanks, Reg and Dave. I think it's interesting that so many that our stories, including Mark's, are uh, so similar. But where um, my entry point into this narrative is um, when I was a young girl, I grew up on Detroit's northwest side. Um, I'm actually reading excerpts from my upcoming book, God Said Give Them Drum Machines, the book. It's a companion um, coffee table book that's going to be released alongside of the film. And this is kind of like my uh, history into this. Just give me one second. Um, It starts off like this. As a young girl growing up on Detroit's Northwest Side, I have early memories of my father getting dressed up in slick suits and platform shoes like in the movie Saturday Night Fever and going to the nightclub. He loved to dance and listen to disco music in his spare time. Friday nights were always fun in the Washington household. We would play the soundtrack of Saturday Night Fever and old Donna Summer records on the record player of our stereo system and sing and dance all the popular dances like The Rock, and couple style dancing much like steppers do in Detroit and Chicago or even on Dancing with the Stars today. It was such a release for us as a family, no matter what craziness was happening in the city and in the world at that time. As I grew older, our Friday night routine was replaced with me stepping out on the block with my boom box. My neighborhood friends and I would listen to Mojo on the radio and dance until we were called in by our parents. Mojo was our favorite DJ. His playlist was sophisticated and highly regarded by the older kids on the block. His eclectic mix was more than just popular songs that other radio DJs were playing. He would play deep album cuts from artists like Reggie and Dave mentioned from Prince to Parliament Funkadelics, B-52s, Kraftwerk, and so many more. Soon he would start to play this new, what is what I call funky, futuristic sounding music that just blew our minds. At that time, we had no idea who the artists were or the titles of the songs, except for maybe Cosmic Cars. I then began to record the mixes from the radio onto cassette tapes so I could listen to my favorite songs whenever I wanted. 
My Panasonic tape recorder I got for Christmas one year had awesome fader levels. I could move the bass and treble up and down to make the mixes sound even cooler. Soon it became my morning ritual to get up at 6 a.m. every day while I was in middle school. Before anyone else was up or knew what I was doing, I would head straight to the living room where my Panasonic lived and played my mixes, moving the levels and pretending to be doing something important. <laughs> the music inspired me to think outside of my 12-year-old life and motivated me to exercise, doing aerobics specifically, and to start my happy day. Those mixtapes stay with me as I grew up and the songs remain on my workout playlist throughout all the technology changes to this day. After high school, I moved to LA and the club music was much different. I didn't care for the elementary record playing in the club. Uh, the club and radio DJs were notorious for. They would actually play popular top, top 40 songs and had absolutely no idea how to blend one into the other, oh my God. Um, over the years, coming home to Detroit to visit was always a treat. Being able to see my old friends and family was cool, but I couldn't wait to turn on the radio. Oh, how my entire being had missed the musical soundscape of the city. Tuning into the sped up weekend nightly mixes brought me back to some good old times. It was good for me to connect back to the energy and vibration of the city. It was calming after having lived in one of the biggest cities in the country, which happens to be four times the size of Detroit, Los Angeles, is what I'm talking about. But one of these visits was in 2010, the year of one of my high school reunions. After starting a family in Los Angeles, it was the first chance I had to let my hair down. It was on this trip that an old friend took me to a nondescript building on East Graham Boulevard in Detroit, just down the street from the old Motown Museum. It was here that a boulder fell on me, so to speak. I discovered that techno music was actually from Detroit. I was standing in the world's first techno museum and it all clicked for me when I saw the vinyl record of one of my favorite songs, Cosmic Cars, in a display case on the wall. It was such an exciting moment for me to learn that the group Cybertron made this song and several of my other favorite songs of all time and that this music was made right here in Detroit by black people. Honestly, when I first learned the term techno in the 90s, I had associated with that yucky raver music from Europe. I was confused, though. I mean, this funky, futuristic music we listened to growing up that we sometimes referred to as progressive or house music was actually techno. I even found that this term was coined by Juan Atkins of Cybertron in the early 1980s to describe his music. How did, how did I myth, miss this? I thought to myself, this is a big deal. Why is there no sign on this building I'm standing in to identify it? Shout out to Underground Resistance anyway, we love y'all. But if Black Detroiters are, dis, are responsible for the fastest growing genre of electronic dance music, why isn't this common knowledge? Why is it a secret? My mind grappled with this the rest of the day. My friend and I toured the city and it continued and we started to run into some of these techno pioneers like Eddie Folks and Derek May at outdoor festivals downtown. It was a surreal experience for me as I tried to wrap my head around this. I thought, you mean to tell me these guys are alive and well and walking amongst us common folk? Then we found ourselves at a club in Detroit's Easter Market. I was having a blast when I bumped into another friend, Christian Hill, who I knew from LA. Christian was a filmmaker and mentioned to me that he had been filming local DJs in Detroit and promised he would share some of the footage with me when we got back. 
I left that party that night with some gnawing thoughts. It seemed as though someone needed to take responsibility in making sure as many people as possible knew that Detroit wasn't just a wasteland. Detroit was also the birthplace of techno music, and this was important. The next 10 years to date have been a whirlwind for me and Christian of documenting the Detroit techno scene and following the pioneers, Juan Atkins, Kevin Saunderson, Derek May, Eddie Folks, Santonio Eccles, Blake Baxter, Mike Huckabee, and many more to faraway lands like London, Tokyo, Cape Town, Berlin, Nizhny Novgorod, Russia, and back to Detroit again. It's been a labor of love and a thrill getting to know these guys. Our small two-man crew eventually expanded over time to include David Grandison and his archive of early interviews with the guys, as well as the awesome Reggie Dokes, our composer, and Mary O'Byrne, Chris Riley, and Bailey Post and our amazing support staff. And shout out to Bruno Morfitt in Cape Town for always making us look good. At this point, we are at the tail end of our journey, and Christian and I are tirelessly preparing to bring God Said Given Drum Machines, the story of Detroit Techno, a feature-length documentary to a theater near you and or the streaming platform you prefer. Like many of you, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted our release plans. However, we've been able to adapt quickly to the changing times. Most recently, we connected with Damien Daniel in London, a talented DP that has joined our team to help us with a few remaining overseas interviews. I'm um, Damien Paul Daniel, and I'm a London, England-based uh, director of photography. Um, and I, my work comprises of um, documentaries, uh, drama, feature films, commercials, and music videos. And I've been working in um, uh, film and television uh, for 25 years now, um, where well, I started off as a, I started off as a trainee and worked my way up um, through the ranks of um, uh, second and first assisting um, to become a, a lighting cameraman, director of photography, cinematographer, um, about 13 years ago. Uh, one of the genres that I work in that I, I love is documentaries. Um, I've always loved watching documentaries on TV and in the cinema, documentary features. And I get a lot of um, joy out of watching them. And um, I work on our shoot documentary as well and documentary features. Um, and what I love about documentaries is um, you always learn something. There's always something. It doesn't matter what, what the documentary might be about. Um, it could be music. It could be nature. It could be po political. Um, and just through, you know, um, interviewing people um, that are specialists in their field, I've always uh, found really, really inter interesting. And you always learn something new. So... Um, Christian Christian Hill um, got my got my details from um, from a producer um, called Delmar Washington, um, who's based in LA, and um, Delmar uh, I met quite a few years ago um, because he was producing a couple of documentaries for um, the comedian Dave Chappelle um, when Dave. Um, came um, came over to England to do a uh, well came over to Europe to do a European tour um, and Delmar um, got hold of me and um, I did um, I joined them I joined them on part of that European and UK tour 
doing a kind of all access behind the scenes documentary with Dave Chappelle, um, which was amazing, which was absolutely amazing. Just traveling, traveling with um, with them, um, you know, around different places, you know, one of the biggest comedians in the world. Um, and I've done a couple of subsequent shoots with them over the years, over the last couple of years. So um, Delmar knows Christian and um, Christian got my details, got hold of me a couple of months ago now and said that he'd been, um, him and Jennifer Washington had been making a documentary called um, God, uh, God Said Give Him Drum Machines, which was about the... Um, history of um, techno music um, in Detroit. And um, it immediately um, piqued my interest. Um, I'm not a massive, massive um, techno uh, techno fan. I mean, my music is, the music I was most into is a lot of um, uh, P-funk, funk, soul, um, hip-hop, um, Ranging from, you know, Parliament Funkadelic to Cameo to groups like Zap, then to, you know, into into the um, genres of um, uh, rap um, and hip hop and especially jazz rap, especially groups like, you know, Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and Jungle Brothers, who I love. Um, but I kind of, you know, um, techno became very, very um, popular here in the UK. Um, and you know, I, I went to I went to a couple of I went to a couple of club nights, you know, and um, they were always they they were always you know pretty cool. Um, so Christian Christian got hold of me and said, yeah, um, we're, we've been making this documentary feature feature film over the last um, ten years, and they wanted to get um, they wanted to shoot an interview with Normski, um, and Normski, oh man, Normski was part of my you know that time. That time in the eighties when I was going going out and going clubbing, um, Normski was a real was a real fixture, um, and he was also a television personality. He used to um, present this show on TV called Dance Energy, um, which was great. And for for quite a few years, um, you know, back then, uh, you'd see Normski everywhere. You know, so when um, Christian. I said, yeah, we want to, um, we're shooting an interview with Normski. I was like, yep, <laughs> please, yep, uh, um, put me, get me, get me there, <laughs> which was great. Um, what I didn't, um, and Christian explained um, about the history of techno music, its roots starting in Detroit, which I had no idea about, but also how pivotal and big Normski um, was at that time um because i knew him i knew him as a um as a presenter and dj what i didn't know is what his main his main thrust was was photography and you know some i mean the some of the iconic photos photographs that you know normski has taken from around the scene which are photos that you you've seen um, which you didn't. I didn't even know that um, that that was Normski, and it was like, oh my god, you know this man, you know um, this man, this man is the boom, you know. Um, but Christian also explained that you know um, he was right there back in Detroit at the time with all the main exponents of the music, photographing and meeting them and hanging out, and you know, 
um, there was there was just this whole rich history um, from that era, which Normski was right there. So you know, um, for me, it was like, oh God, this this is this is just going to be absolutely amazing. So um, uh, so you know, Christian and Jennifer explained that you know um, it was an interview they really wanted to do. They would have they try they tried to get it. Um, tried to do it, um, I think, a couple of years ago, but for some reason it didn't happen. And then this time, you know, this year they wanted to get it done, but then, of course, <laughs> um, we got scuppered with um, with COVID um, and not being able to travel. So slightly unusual for me in that because I'm so used and I love, so used to and I love working with um, directors. Um, and having you know because you know director tell that's what I love about being a director of photography is that um it's my job um to realize the director's vision um on screen and you do that by where you know it's a real collaboration and having someone physically there that you can bounce ideas off um but in this case it wasn't going to happen because um uh Christian and Jennifer couldn't travel so i mean it was a fairly it was a fairly simple setup um but over the course of a few weeks uh Christian you know um was brilliant and he said look man you know Normski really wants to do this interview and the perfect place uh to do it is you know um there's this museum here in London called the Museum of Youth the Museum of Youth Culture which I hadn't even heard about and it was only 10 minutes away from me but this museum Normski is a big part of this museum and and basically this museum charts um, the history of youth culture from, you know, the 80s up to, you know, present day um, by way of photographs, by way of flyers and all that. And Normski was, you know, um, Norm Normski, I think, is part, is part of the museum. But it seemed like the perfect venue to the perfect location in which to, co in which to shoot the interview. Um, and, you know, when we... When we arrived, so uh, after, you know, we spoke about it, how we were going to do it, um, there was myself and a sound sound recordist. We, you know, um, scoped out scoped out the museum. And it was one of those places, you know, as well as the photographs, there were, you know, record decks, there were turntables, there was... It was just... It, it, it was... Um, it was a director of photography's dream, this place, because you could put the camera, didn't matter where you put the camera, <laughs> there was a shot. There was a shot. It was great. Didn't have to work too hard about that. Um, but one of the things with um, shooting interviews with uh, d uh, directors is, again, that, that collaboration you, that, you know, collaboration you got there and you bounce ideas off. But this wasn't this wasn't going to ha uh, happen because obviously Christian and Jennifer were were in the states, um, and it was kind of muted that um, well maybe you know Christian um, would give me would give me the questions, and I would I would um, I would ask uh, um, relay them to Normski, but I just felt that didn't you know. Christian and Normski have had um, a dialogue and a friendship and, you know, they've been talking about this for quite quite a while and Christian's knowledge of 
of um, of techno. I mean, they've been shooting the documentary for ten years. We needed to have needed for for this to be a successful interview. For this to be a successful interview, we need you. You needed to have that one to one, one to one collaboration. Um, it couldn't it couldn't be led by me. You know what? You know um, Christian's knowledge of the of the scene and of Norm Skin, what he's done is pivotal. Um, it's absolutely pivotal. So we discussed how we would we would do it, and I said, "Well, listen, you know, we we said, take not what's great, what you know, the thing that's come through this um, throughout this pandemic is, you know, hey, Zoom, <laughs> technology's moved on. You know, zooming means that you can, you know, you may not be physically there, but you feel like you're physically there." And for me, it was like important. It's like let's use this technology. We can set the interview up in um, in the traditional way, and you know, Wi-Fi was put. I checked with the museum, made sure they had a strong Wi-Fi connection. Um, Wi-Fi was good, and I said, look, what we'll do is, you know, we'll zoom you in, Christian, and you can chat to Normski as if you were here, and you can conduct the interview. So we'll set the cameras up. I had two cameras on it and I had the sound recordist and we I bought my laptop bought my laptop um we set up you know um it was actually an oil drum there was an oil drum in the museum which was exactly the right height um for the eye line to set up the laptop um as you would um uh, a real person and um we zoomed we zoomed zoomed it in and um Normski and Christian chatted and oh my god it was how Normski is I mean the man the energy the energy from that man is sublime I think it was something like a four and a half hour interview four and a half hour interview it was ridiculous <laughs> but it was fantastic four and a half hours uh, they they spoke and they vibed they were like they were like boxers sparring it was absolutely brilliant and for it was the privilege of it was a real history lesson a real history lesson i was hanging on every single word um and it absolutely Normski was you know talking about the history he was talking about the photography he was talking about gigs and concerts that he went to which I was at as well you know it wasn't just techno he covered he covered everything um and it absolutely for myself and actually the sound recordist Ray it took us right back um it's probably one of the best interviews best interviews I've ever I've ever had the privilege to film um it was it it was amazing it was amazing four hours it didn't feel like four hours um we were we were absolutely exhausted by the end of it (laughs) and we didn't even do anything physical but um it was brilliant it was absolutely absolutely brilliant um and it proved that it was um it was the right the right approach and the right way to go about it um you know because you know um using the technology um it just showed that you know if um uh you may not have to you 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 don't have to be physically there to 
you know to relay to relay um your point and and get that and and get that emotion coming back to you um it was an absolute absolute pr- pleasure and um yes uh you know certainly a documentary um that i so look forward so look forward to seeing the finished result but also absolutely privileged to um have been a very a very small part of thank you So this last one is still from the same record label, Intangible Records. I can't forget though. This EP is called Fult Tilt Production EP. Fult, F-U-L-T, Tilt Production EP. Gary Malice. And so this 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 last one is called uh, Can You Dig It? It's one of my favorites from uh, this EP. This EP... Man, oh goodness, I'm trying to see what year it came out. 1996. 1996. And and I tell you, these tracks still are hot. Gary makes some very timeless music. He's a very diverse producer. That's one of the main reasons why I respect this brother. Because I've heard him make everything from hip-hop to R&B to... Uh, floor thumping techno Um, you know Gary has been at this for a while and uh, not only is he a great producer but um, he's also a great DJ and I'm so honored that I was able to put out some of his music uh, about a couple years ago on my label Psychostasia Recordings because he, he can make some really nice deep house tracks but anyway let me quit talking and let's get to uh, this music. Can You Dig It? by Gary Romalis. You know, again, it's it's, yeah. it's really wonderful to to hear um, each of the respective origin stories for the superhero team that 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 has formed, like Voltron, to, to finish this project. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? yes. So, yes. Uh, it's 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 cool. I, I I love it. I love it. I love like it. like like Jennifer said, just hearing everybody's stories. Just the the it was just you know that common thread of of, uh, you know, everyone mentioned Mojo and, you know, how influential he was uh, to a lot of us uh, growing up. And, you know, Mojo was was one of those DJs like no other. You know, he played music that um, a lot of the other DJs in Detroit and really across the country were not playing. I mean, we're talking about a man who who broke uh 
a lot of uh, Prince's records when other radio stations wouldn't play his music. Um, you know, Mojo is credited for, you know, taking taking that taking that leap because he was just that kind of uh, kind of DJ, that kind of um, you know personality. So, you know, like I said, it just uh, you know it, it just kind of blessed all of us. You know, it's funny because. It comes full circle. I know my kids, um, they know house, you know, they know classical, they know jazz, because that's just how all a lot of us came up in Detroit. You know, it, it just wasn't just one genre. You know, we weren't one dimensional when it came yeah. to listening to this yeah. good music, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I'm glad you said that because we cannot skip WJZZ. WJZZ was mm. also a big yes. part of what formed the basis for Detroit techno because WJGZ was rocking groups like asthma groups mm. like Jean-Luc Ponty. Okay. Right. Electronic original, you know, innovators way before, because Azimuth was giving you Brazilian electronic funk mm. and you had groups like Jean-Luc Ponte and Jean was giving you, uh, I don't even know what to call Jean-Luc Ponte's form of jazz right. fusion. Right. Right. You know, where he was also doing very, very um, digital, digital um, synthesized mm. um, electronic jazz uh, hey. that was fused with rock and fused with other, you know, forms, you know, and of course, you know, Stevie Wonder was playing with um, electronics and, and, and was an in, incredible, uh, you know, experimenter in terms of electronic and drum machines, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we, we can't, we can't sleep on, on WJZZ. <laughs> Right, 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 right. I think it was interesting um, when Dave said that I had never heard this before. So I'm learn- I learned something today um, when he said, first of all, I thought it was real cute when you talked about being a teen reporter. That's, that was exciting. I'm so sure. <laughs> I wish I could have been a teen reporter. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I had never heard the term grass. I mean, I knew progressive, but I didn't know it was right. shortened to grass. So that was news <laughs> to my ears. Right, right. That's, that's, that's what I, you know. We called it. You know, we it was like we going to see some grass. You know, that's, that's you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were going to hear. You know? So yeah, I mean, it just takes us back to really kind of talk about that. But you know, another we cannot we cannot not mention that. Uh, and I got to dispel this myth real quick. Okay, the 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 group of guys known as the Belleville Three. At the yes. time the Detroit Techno was founded, Belleville was not a city that was doing anything in terms of techno. The Belleville right. 3 is only, and that was one of the things that I changed on that original entry in Wikipedia. Mm. Because Belleville, my grandmother lived in Belleville with cows. Okay. okay. She had right. a farm. Right. Okay. Right. There was nothing happening in Belleville. The Belleville 3 came to Detroit and they were spinning as deep space. They mm-hmm. were spinning at these club parties that we're right. talking about. Mm-hmm. Direct drive, okay? Right. You know, Todd Johnson and Mike Clark, okay? You know, these guys were the ones who were spinning for all these party crews, okay? Right. So Belleville had nothing to do with Detroit techno, okay? Detroit is where techno came from. And so, I, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that was... You know, it pisses me off to this day that we are not acknowledging that Detroit 
is the origination place. And the Belleville Three to me is a slap in the face to Detroit techno. Okay, really, right, the right. word the Belleville Three, not the members of the Belleville Three, because they are the originators. But calling them the Belleville Three, no, they should be called the Detroit Three. They should be called, you know, something, that, right, you know, right. something like that. Right. You know, I don't know. What, what are you all's thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. When we first started this. I mean, when I first, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Belleville three. I, I, um, you know, I knew the songs that I loved and I started to learn the names of the artists and the, the titles of the songs and all that, but I still couldn't fathom. My, my, my mind couldn't wrap it around this Belleville thing. Mm. First of all, I never heard of Belleville before. I right. never been there. Um, it definitely didn't sound, um, you know, it didn't make any sense. And when you still bring it, I don't even know why people still bring it up. I never talk about the Belleville three. Honestly, mm-hmm. I talk about the techno six. Those are the six people in our film that we follow. And they are the six people on, on the magazine article that we built the film around. But any, even, even you just bringing it up just now, I still, I, my mind draws a blank when people say Belleville mm-hmm. three, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So what about you, Reg? <laughs> I mean, I I, I I get it, but you know, like like David said, at the end of the day, man, it's 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 Detroit, you know, it 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 ain't Bellevue, you know what I'm saying? Like, and even when they were there, I think they were probably like the only black kids. <laughs> exactly, they were at Bellevue High in, School. In, they in, were the- <laughs> in, in, in the school, but you know, aside from that, man, it's 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 Detroit. These guys are Detroit. Yeah. Flat out, yeah. these guys are Detroit. The music that's the um, key is 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 Detroit. Period. Yes, yes, yes. That that's it. You know, with these stories that we're trying to tell, we are the original sources. We were there. That mm-hmm. that gives us authority over other groups that are from other countries that come and try to tell this story. Right. We are people who lived and breathed it. And so it's right. vital that we tell this story for our kids, for right. the world to understand that this is an art form that came from Detroit, was born and was nurtured and incubated by young people in Detroit who were all teens. Okay, so, you know, hey, this is a powerful story for young people. And, you know, that's why we want to do this, you know. Exactly. Like, you know, every time the word techno is mentioned, Juan Atkins should be getting a check, you know. Um, But, you know, hey, you know, this, 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 (laughs) you know, stuff happens. You know what I mean? Like, you know, these guys, this was all new to them. You know, like they they weren't versed in the whole business aspect of of the music business, you know, they were kids and they had to, you know, take their hits as they, you know, got older and, 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 and became a lot wiser, uh, in the business. But, uh, you know, like you said, that's why we are here folks who lived and, 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 and breathed, uh, a lot of these experiences, you know, and what's so crazy, you know, you have a story that you can tell from your perspective, Jennifer does. And, so do I and, 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 and Christian, but at some point it kind of meets up, you know, and, and that's the beauty um, of it. You know, like you said, the world has always painted this monstrous picture of our city that we love so much. And we know it's not perfect, you know, um, but, 
you know, out of imperfection can come some beautiful things. And techno is one of those great things that came out of the ashes, you know, uh, of Detroit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, you couldn't have said it better. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. You know, we got to We got to give respect to to the originators, to the creators of this genre and uh, yeah. tell the story, um, you know, that that is free from um you know, free from misconceptions mm-hmm. that's free from uh you know things that are that are added to the story to make the story more interesting you know we're mm-hmm. trying to really tell right. it raw through the voices of the people who lived and created this this art form you know right 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 that's right i think it's also um it's been a challenge for us to tell the story because um I would say, in my opinion, by and large, most Americans don't know where this music came from. But what mm-hmm. we found when we traveled overseas that everybody knew where techno came from. They knew it came from Detroit. And mm-hmm. so it was really exciting to meet other people who understood us. And they definitely treated us special because we were mm-hmm. from Detroit and we represented this this awesome music. But it, um, you know, I just saw that there was you know, a need for this to be, you know, told on a mainstream platform Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we could all be in agreement about how awesome our city is Mm -hmm. and how awesome this music is and how we can't just um, lose track of it. And and we have to claim it. We have to. My motto is accentuate the positive. So when Mm -hmm. I when I saw what was happening to my city back in the mid you know, back in like around 2010, 2009, I just felt like, man, you know, what can we do? How can we help our city out? This is right before the bankruptcy. And I wasn't even a filmmaker. I was working in the music business and Mm. trying to make my way with that and trying to figure out a new way to sell music. And then I just came across, I came across this, like I said, in my story of Boulder, just this, this huge idea that, like I said, Detroit was more than just a wasteland and that, you know, when Motown left in 72, the music scene didn't die mm-hmm. and it had been alive and growing on in the underground all this time. And it and why why keep it a secret? You know, it's mm-hmm. I just right. felt the the shortcoming that Detroit had about, you know, how to really promote themselves in uh, as a, in a global perspective. I felt like that was kind of like their, you know, they were just mm-hmm. didn't quite know how to do PR for themselves, the, the city. So I felt like, hey, you know, I'm from L.A. I know how things should look and how things should be presented. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I, you know, fit, you know, got in to fit in. And so mm-hmm. with with the help of Christian and Dave and now Reggie, you know, we've kind of worked it out. You know, right. and so right. soon, soon we'll have a finished product and we expect that to be in spring 2021. Yes, yes. Love it. I didn't know there was a book accompanying. Uh, that's something yes. I learned. That, that's something new I learned. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yes, we've been working on that for um, over a year now. Okay. And it's been Oh my gosh, going back into my old phones and finding all these photos from all these trips we took. I mean Oh, you're gonna have pictures in the book. 
oh, it's a photo book. It's a coffee table book with lots okay. of photos. So we, okay. you know, I didn't okay. realize I was just kind of taking pictures with my phone. Christian used to be mad that I would be taking pictures with my phone. He'd be like, why aren't you using that um, uh, 5D? Why can't you okay. use that 5D to take the photos? <laughs> okay. And I'd be, right. and I used to be afraid of the camera. Okay. And um, they used to make fun of me every time I would touch the camera. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. So I would just take out my phone everywhere. And then, I mean, the first time we interviewed Juan in London, I uh, took photos of the lobby in the hotel. So like okay. the, you'll see some of those mm-hmm. photos and uh, maybe it was Amsterdam, actually. And so there was a festival going on called the Sonics Act Festival. And we mm-hmm. interviewed him and met him for the first time at this hotel across the street from where the festival was taking place. And so I got photos of the rehearsal. I have photos of, you know, all the signage and um, the performance. I made all these cool photos from the performance. And so it was just, you know, there's lots of memories. And I'm so glad that I had the foresight to document our story, Mm, you know, and the journey that we took to do this. And um, because now I'm starting to forget some of the stories. It's been so long. So, but this, we will have it available, the, the book for pre-order on December 1. Oh, wow. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I can't wait. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it, all the, you know, the documentation and, and telling our stories is, is the, is the key piece that the people mm-hmm. need to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, if we as African-Americans don't tell our stories, nobody's going to tell our story. That's right. That's and right. those stories will be lost like tears in the rain to give a quote from my favorite film, Blade Runner. That's <laughs> okay. That's you know, we, hey, we Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, again, <laughs> hey, we, we got to give a shout out to Afrofuturism <laughs> right, and, right, uh, right. And, and the cyberpunk that also birthed Detroit Techno. Right, so, right, you know, right. it's, it's it's one of those things where we've got to tell our stories. And, uh, you right. know, again, we're trying to teach kids to tell stories. And, you know, that's why, you know, part of this is we'll have educational components that will mm-hmm. help young people to understand how to how to make films and documentaries following the footprint of what we've done uh, with this project. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited because, you know, we're we are making history. You know, there are plenty of films out there, but they just kind of gleam over, you know, the contribution that Detroit has made to the world as it relates to techno. So, you know, this this is just awesome. Awesome. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed our second episode of God Said Give Them Drum Machines behind the scenes podcast. So listen, we're 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 not ending here. OK, we got a, another episode coming up. So we just appreciate you guys just tuning in and, and, and supporting us. OK, but before I go, I want to uh, let you guys know that. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you are listening from. Okay. And also, I wanted to give a special shout out to the company out of Los Angeles called Output, our brand partners right now. And I tell you, I love this company because as a composer and producer, I'm using a lot of the great sounds that they create every week. It's such a great tool if you are a composer, music producer. Please look at um, uh, getting into uh, what Output has to offer, okay? 
And you can also connect with us through our website at www.gsgedm.com to learn about the film that's due out in spring 2021. And don't forget, you can always support us by buying a really cool t-shirt, sweatshirts, and posters. So stay updated. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at God Said Give Them Drum Machines. Guys, thanks so much for joining us with this second uh, episode. Uh, stay tuned for the next one. And always remember, Detroit is techno. Peace. <laughs>